Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So here we are on the second day of this retreat. Um, I hope that when you uh, when you started the retreat, you remembered how the first few days were of the last retreat that you did, because often you remember the very last few moments or that sweet sitting at the end and say, yeah, I want to go back there and get more of that. Um, that's what, what hooks us, you know, to come back again. And uh, often we can forget about the first few days, which uh, for most people, not for everyone, but for most people, um, is an adjustment, no matter how long you've been practicing. Maybe just take a little uh, weather report. How many people um, have been having a bunch of, a lot of sleepiness? Okay. <laughs> I had a feeling. Uh, how about restlessness? Anybody had that? Okay. And uh, aches in the body? Yeah, okay. Uh, wandering mind? Yeah. So you're all just right on schedule. You're doing great. It's good to know that this is part of the process and you're not doing it wrong. Sometimes you can forget that and be asking the, the classical questions that come up on the first couple of days, um, why did I think this was a good idea? Yeah. Or what am I doing here? What, how, how am I doing? Am I doing it right or not doing it right? So I wanted to uh, talk tonight, um, share one of the classical lists in the teachings uh, that I uh, find very helpful for understanding the the process that we're going through of doing intensive practice. Uh, and this is the the list uh, that perhaps you're familiar with of the five spiritual faculties. <clears throat> and this le- list uh, can be seen as a um, a list of balance and also um, a kind of linear unfolding. Um, so just to give you a sense of how they, they both can work, uh, the, the um, faculties are faith or trust, and a few other uh, synonyms, energy related to effort often, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. Mindfulness in the middle is the balancing factor of two of those pairs. Faith and wisdom need to be balanced. If there's too much faith and not enough seeing clearly wisdom, it can easily be blind faith. If there's too much, mm, it's funny to say too much wisdom, but if there's uh, too much of the um, 
more rational, um, cerebral uh, investigation without a heartfelt quality, uh, it can be kind of cool and, um, and cerebral. So those need to be balanced. The quality of um, clarity and heart and concentrate energy and concentration also need to be about in balance if there's too much energy and not enough concentration the mind gets very agitated as perhaps you've seen and if there's too much concentration in the sense of coming to stillness but lacking in energy then sleepiness can happen drifting off <clears throat> so those two pairs need to be in balance they support each other and mindfulness is the uh, is the key um, factor that balances them both cultivates all of them and also balances them so that's one way to see these uh, these faculties another way is um, linearly and of course uh, in reality, it's not like there's a, a textbook kind of you do this and then you go on to this and now you've got this and now you've gone this. There's, of course, a kind of um, interdependence on all of them, but they do really um, give a good sense of the, the development of unfolding. So I want to share these. First of the faculties, as I said, is faith. Or in Pali, uh, the word is sadha, S-A-D-D-H-A. The word faith for some people can snag the mind. For some people, it's a very inspiring word. Um, depends upon probably your upbringing and how you felt about Sunday school or synagogue or whatever, and maybe you felt, oh yes, I, I really have faith and I believe, or I don't have enough faith and I'm, I'm not doing it right. So don't let the word trip you up. Um, there's a, as beautiful as it, as it can be, there are other synonyms, as, as I said, to have trust deep sense of trust or confidence is another translation for sadha or conviction all of these are pointing to um, the the actual translation to put to put one's heart upon something to bring a, a heartfulness to um, to your experience and we start out with some, something that has moved us or inspired us or has uh, activated some sense of um, feeling that maybe there's something here even if you don't understand or know the whole picture. Maybe you read a book or perhaps heard a talk or spoke to a friend who told you about 
doing stuff like this or uh, read about mindfulness research um, and said, I want to check this out. Um, without knowing, there was some sense that, um, that there might be something good here. And sometimes that initial activation can be very strong, a kind of what's called bright faith, where somebody speaks and you are so moved or inspired. Maybe you see the Dalai Lama and are, uh, are getting a sense of, he knows something I want to know. For me, when I first got into the, into the practice, it was uh, in the summer of 1974, at, uh, the first year at Naropa Institute, which is now Naropa University, uh, in Boulder, Colorado. And I went out there because um, uh, Ram Dass was, uh, was there and I had been carrying around the book he wrote, Be Here Now, that probably many of you are familiar with. Like I carried around like a Bible for about three years and finally I was gonna meet Ram Dass. And uh, I asked him about meditation uh, when I first got there and he said, go check that guy Goldstein out, he's pretty good. And I sat in on Joseph Goldstein's f first class coming back to the States after practicing in, in Asia. And uh, after, after about 10 minutes, I had uh, some judgments the first 10 minutes. He didn't look very holy and spiritual and <laughs> he sounded like he was from New York and I was from New York and he was just a couple of years older than me. And so this is the, this is the great spiritual teacher. But after about 10 minutes of that, um, I just listened to what he was saying and it was so clear that he knew something that I didn't and I wanted to know why he was so comfortable in his own skin and saying it's really possible to free the mind so that you're not run by your neurotic thoughts. That had never occurred to me before, that possibility. But when he said it, I was going to go for it because I had a lot of suffering inside. It looked okay on the outside, but inside it was, it was painful. Um, and that actually can be a good motivator if you're going through a hard time where it's, uh, there's a lot of suffering in your life. You might be motivated, like I was, to just go for it. Because that's what I said at some point early on. I'm going for it. And I was so inspired and had that, um, that bright faith for a while. <clears throat> but then you have to find out for yourself and go through your own challenges and, and trials and difficulties and after the honeymoon, uh, then, then you've got to deal with your mind and your, your heart and all, of, all the difficulties that come up. And it's just going through those difficulties that you more and more develop what's called verified faith, where you're not just trusting somebody else, but you see for yourself, oh yeah, I can open to this too. I can be with this too. Oh yes, actually that whole notion of uh, of holding on to grasping and grasping on to changing experience is suffering. Oh, that's what this is about. And you start seeing it for yourself. 
for me, I'll share a story I sometimes do. On my, my second retreat, I had tremendous doubt. It was, I couldn't do the practice. I was a phony. Everybody else was a phony. We we're all kind of looking spiritual. And, uh, but I was really kind of freaking out inside. And I tried to walk. I couldn't walk. And I tried to sit. I couldn't sit. I was so agitated. And finally, I went up to um, my... Uh, my cubicle in this meditation center, and I just, I just needed to, to just cool it. And there was a picture of Neem Karoli Baba from Ram Dass's book, Be Here Now, smiling back at me, saying, hmm, getting pretty freaked out, aren't we? And, and it just made me, it broke the spell. Oh, wow. I just was filled with doubt. And I was so... I saw through doubt. I couldn't wait to tell my teacher that I conquered doubt. <laughs> you can hear the setup in there. Unfortunately, the, the, the interview was like 24 hours later, and I went through every different mind state from confidence and I crashed and I got confused and I got sleepy and then I got I was all over the map and I walked into the the interview room and and uh, Joseph said so how's it going and he I said completely innocent in total exasperation it's always changing he said that's it I said oh yeah you keep on saying that don't you that's verified faith, where you know for yourself or trust in the process. Trust that little by little, when you do show up, there's a place inside that can meet the moment. That sadha, to put one's heart upon, also the word heart is in the, in the word courage. It gives us courage more and more as we trust more that we can open up to most anything. Not that everything is going to work out. You know, sometimes people say, well, I trusted and it didn't work out the way I thought it would. That's not realistic. Things don't often work out the way we planned. But the trust comes from seeing that the awareness can meet the moment when it happens. That there's enough capacity in here that you can open up to most anything and the awareness can hold it or respond wisely. This is a tremendous source of confidence. Christmas Humphreys, who wrote a lot on Buddhism, he said, the one miracle this path has to offer is a change of heart. That our relationship to experience is possible to shift so that we're not fighting the moment, but we're opening to it. At the beginning, when we took the refuges and we took refuge in the Dharma, in a way, the more you really get this sense of refuge in the Dharma, the way I see it, it's saying that 
life is giving me what I need or what I can use to wake up in every instant? How can I relate to this in a way that doesn't contract and lead to more fear or confusion when things are pleasant? Great, don't miss it. And when they're difficult, ah, don't miss the lesson here. Don't miss the, the possibility of opening to experience. This is a, I can find it, a, a poem I love that I wanted to share. If I can find it here. Here it is. Jennifer Wellwood, unconditional. Willing to experience aloneness, I discover connection everywhere. Turning to face my fear, I meet the warrior who lives within. Opening to my loss, I gain the embrace of the universe. Surrendering into emptiness, I find fullness without end. Each condition I flee from pursues me. Each condition I welcome transforms me and becomes itself transformed into its radiant jewel-like essence. I bow to the one who has made it so, who has crafted this master game. To play it is pure delight, to honor its form, true devotion. So this is what we're opening to as we more and more are willing to be here for our experience. Uh, courage, uh, confidence, a trust that the awareness will meet the moment when that moment comes. Another aspect of faith, one more thing I want to say before moving on, is that um, it helps us to see the bigger picture or it helps us to remember that there is a lawful unfolding of karma. And when we look at a small slice of time, things might look very dicey. But if you look at the bigger picture unfolding, that's what gives us the spaciousness to see that it's possible that we're going in a direction that's more positive or more awakening or more conscious than we, we realize. <clears throat> as, a, as an example, how many people here going through a difficult time led them to a deeper wanting to understand the Dharma or spiritual practice? That's how it works. And while you're going through the difficult time, you might say, oh my goodness, this is some kind of mistake. If I were running the universe, I'd do a much better job than this. But because of that, suffering, as the Buddha says, some, uh, can lead to faith. It's one of the lists I love most. Faith can lead to gladness and joy and happiness and peace and the highest kind of freedom. And in the same way, whether it's our, our own personal 
or on a more uh, a wider societal level, we can't know just what each moment, the importance of each moment. I was thinking about um, Newton's third law of motion that for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction. And when things get really difficult and dicey that somehow there's more consciousness and more conviction and more courage to, um, uh, to inspire and energize. So this is about seeing the bigger picture. <clears throat> okay, so faith or trust in the process leads us to the second faculty of energy or effort. <clears throat> this practice does require energy. No doubt about it. You know, if you say, well, if I'm mindful, I'm mindful. If I'm not, I'm not. And just uh, whatever happens, and do I really have to try? You're going to have a very frustrating experience because it takes some commitment to bring your attention here into the moment. Because it's so easy to wander off into past and future and fantasy. It's, we're training the mind and the heart in some quite extraordinary way that frees us and helps us truly wake up. But the energy, the effort, has to be a balanced effort. And there's often this sense of, am I doing it right? Am I doing enough? Am I doing too much? Uh, will I burn myself out if I, if I stay here and, and uh, just do the sitting and walking like the schedule goes? Or shall I you know, just take a break and lighten up? There's, there's all kinds of decisions that one can ask oneself around effort and energy. And so it's, it's really important to see, to understand some, some things about our energy and effort. We can often judge our practice by how concentrated or quiet or clear we are in any one moment. Oh, clear now, must be doing it right. Oh, sleepy now, must be doing it wrong. This is a grave mistake. Because you don't have much control over how things are from moment to moment. Are you starting to see that? I hope you're starting to see that. It was a huge revelation in my own practice. One day, I remember exactly where I was up at the Angela Center in Santa Rosa when it occurred to me, I don't really have much control over how concentrated or mindful I am in any one moment. But the one thing I do have control over is the intention to be here as best I can and the willingness to come back when I see I've gone. 
That's pretty much all I can do. But it turns out that's all you need to do. Because the effort that's spoken about is the effort to be mindful. The effort that's required to overcome unwholesome states and develop wholesome states, which really is a natural byproduct of mindfulness. That's why the Buddha said, mindfulness is the key. But that effort can't be forced, it can't be tight, it can't be too laid back. It's a sincerity of effort, not... Effort comes from the heart, not from the will. And it's a, a great, great relief to see if you have the sincere intention to show up, that is the secret ingredient. That is, can I be here as best I can? And when I see I've gone, come on back. Let's come on back. That's it. And it eliminates all the report cards when you just see, I'm doing the best I can. And that also requires us to get in touch with what will help us show up in each moment, which can vary, which does vary from moment to moment. Sometimes we need to find what's called heroic effort. When we have the energy, okay, let me be with this. Not out of kind of you know, tough samurai uh, warrior, but out of a sense that this is going to really help me to, uh, to grow if I can be with this. And other times it's, whoa, this is way too much. I need to just pull back out of compassion and wisdom. And so it's really checking in and seeing, what do I need right now to show up? What do I need to support me in being here for my experience? And it will look different from hour to hour. But keeping on getting back into that sincerity, that's the key. This is from somebody who wrote, a, wrote me a note uh, on a retreat many years ago. He, he says, it is indeed a huge relief to realize that I am not in charge of my thoughts, that they come up completely unbidden. It's also a relief to know I'm not in charge of my moments of awareness, that these are indeed just beautiful gifts. I think I've been laboring under the assumption that by sheer effort of will, I could manufacture awareness and that the only reason it wasn't happening was because of laziness, weak brain power, lack of dedication, etc., etc. So this shift of emphasis towards faith and sincerity of heart, letting the process evolve at its own speed, in its own direction, has made me incredibly happy and at ease. So for me, the effort is really supported by a few uh, different um, attitudes. I know um, a guy mentioned about relax, observe, and allow. And I have uh, my own 
set that are similar to that. Relaxed, interested, and kind. If you are trying too hard and you're too tense, you just get a headache and your body and mind are tight and you can't see clearly. So it really serves you to find some sense of ease in what you're doing. This is not a, like I said, a pass-fail test or some kind of, you know, macho meditation or something like that. But to have a sense of ease and openness really facilitates seeing clearly. Relaxed, interested, this is the key. Because if you're interested, then you want to pay attention. And the more you want to pay attention, the more attention you pay, the clearer you see, and the more interesting things get. So it, there's this, at the beginning, it takes some mm, mustering up the encouragement to be here. One, one teacher, I uh, remember, called it manual labor, just kind of bringing yourself back each time. You know. But if at the beginning, even if you pretend that it's interesting, you start to see more and the mindfulness itself reveals and it becomes interesting. So interest is the key. Uh, I've shared this uh, many times. I have a, re uh, a birthday card at home that I've never given away because I love it so much. It kind of is, is, the, mm, is my, one of my inspirations for practice. On the cover of the, uh, of the card is this um, baby with uh, holding a booger straight from his nose, right? And he is looking f mesmerized, transfixed at this thing in his hand. Mm, almost like cross-eyed. You open up and, he's, and it says, you always were easy to entertain. Happy birthday. <laughs> For me, that is the essence. I'm trying to achieve boogerhood, uh, where anything is interesting. And it really is, because when you, when you look carefully, I mean, just think about it. Do you ever ask yourself, wow, how did I get here? I'm alive. Gee, oh, here's this breath that's keeping me alive. What is the breath? Oh, here's a a sensation in my body, and there's an awareness that can feel it. Wow, look at that. It all becomes interesting. So relaxed, interested, and a kind awareness that when your mind wanders, it's okay, come on back. Being really kind with whatever you see and whatever you're uh, experiencing. So the effort is the effort to be mindful. <clears throat> and this leads to the, the third faculty, mindfulness. As it says in the Satipatthana Sutta, uh, there is one most direct way to overcome sorrow, lamentation, grief, despair, 
and pain and anxiety and realize the highest happiness, that is the establishment of mindfulness. That's pretty amazing. Mindfulness does all of those things. And that's basically what we're here for this month or two months to just be present for our life. Isn't that wonderful? You gave yourself this time to just wake up to what it means to be alive. <clears throat> and there's lots of different ways to be mindful. In that discourse, there are um, different spheres, different foundations, whether it's the physical or the mental or uh, seeing the flavor of experience, lots of different ways whether it's being mindful of hearing or the body or the breath or emotions or the thought process itself. Anything is just as good as anything else. Any moment of mindfulness is weakening forces of attachment, aversion, and confusion. So it's not that mindfulness looks any one way or any one object is better than, is the best object. What we're doing on these first few days is just developing some stability of mind for those who are, who are wanting to do it in this way on one perhaps particular focus and then to open up the field to use that developed stability to notice all objects, all things, changing experience. <clears throat> so it's important to understand that there are different lenses that we can see and understand experience. Sometimes we might be very drawn to the minute particulars, as I think Blake has called it, just the very fine focus. And when it's, when you're in that space, it's very fascinating. It's like putting a, uh, a drop of pond water under a microscope and all of a sudden you see, wow, there's a whole world there. Wow. But other times, there's a much more panoramic view and you're seeing all of experience in a very open, relaxed, non-interfering uh, way where everything is just coming to you and you can just open up to include all objects just coming and going on their own in a very relaxed, easy and spacious way. So. It's not that you've got to figure out the right way to be mindful. It's simply asking yourself, oh, what's the best way for me to meet this moment? And really trust that. Whether it's, there'll be lots of different suggestions and instructions, whether you use mental noting or whether you stay the breath at the nostrils or whether you 
open up and just feel feel your whole body breathing or if you just are opening up to sounds or not noting or looking at any particular thing but just being here and knowing that you're aware. Every moment of mindfulness is just as good as another. One thing that mindfulness isn't is figuring out. And so be careful if the word why comes into your head. Why is this happening? Or why am I stuck here again? Or why do they always do that? Or why is this mind the way it is? Because it almost always will lead to discursive thought. So if you are simply just curious and seeing, oh, what's happening now? <clears throat> Here's a, another note from a, from a yogi who was really caught up in figuring out for most of her, this is her first retreat, and then at some point it clicked. The one thing that is indelibly in my brain is finally getting, you don't have to figure it out. That would never have registered as an option before. Just today, when I was doing walking meditation, struggling as my thoughts were going round and round, those words finally came into my mind. You don't have to figure it out. I stopped and closed my eyes and asked myself, what is true right now in this moment? And what was true was the rising and falling of my breath and the various body sensations coming and going. And I thought to myself, the rest will balance itself out in its own time. And I resumed my walking. What a revelation. Let go of figuring it out. Mindfulness is simply noticing what's happening right now. And the effort to be mindful leads to more moments of mindfulness. And that effort, just want to backtrack and say, sometimes that effort will be, um, maybe I already did, but I just want to emphasize as it occurs to me, sometimes it will mean um, really being impeccable and sometimes it will mean I need some space right now. There's no one right or wrong, just what will ever show, help me show up. And that effort to be mindful develops moments of mindfulness. There's a momentum that builds. Joseph Goldstein, uh, our, our, our teachers, uh, uh, many of our uh, teacher uh, has this Acronym NPMs, noticings per minute. <laughs> and I used to just, um, that was my game I played with myself. I highly recommend having a playful attitude of making this a game. And my game was seeing, among many, was seeing how many noticings per Per minute, or how many noticings I could make in the day, just knowing that every moment of mindfulness counted. So that momentum starts to build, and as it does, things become more interesting. We see people falling in love with 
lizards or with branches and flowers and oh my goodness or turkeys because they're because your awareness is so connected wow there's life happening here and even falling in love with yourself too and beyond so trust or faith leading to the effort to be mindful and those moments of mindfulness building on each other leading to the fourth faculty which is concentration and this is a a quality that um, sometimes can be um, frustrating and misunderstood or um, uh, looking to attain uh, and uh, it can there can be um, yeah some some complications around this concentration concentration you are developing it every moment that you're mindful and there's a kind of a commitment to being here you're heading in the direction of greater and greater stability <clears throat> but concentration sometimes as I say can look very focused and sometimes it can look very um, uh, panoramic there can be the concentration that sees the minute particulars or what's called moment-to-moment -moment concentration, kanika samadhi, it's called. The word samadhi is often used um, for concentration, a collectedness. And that collectedness can be on one particular object, and it can also be a collectedness in the moment where you're here for this moment, and you're here for this, and you're here for this, moment-to-moment-to-moment. -moment and that's a very powerful kind of concentration. And as I said, relaxation is really the key because if you try to get concentrated, you, know, you ever come, in, come into a sitting and saying, I'm gonna get concentrated if it kills me. It might if you have that attitude. Now we haven't lost anybody yet on that. But that kind of it's good to have a heartful determination, but if you try too hard, you'll just work against yourself. The key to concentration is continuity. Just moment after moment after moment. Not uh, gritting your teeth, pouncing on your experience, but just a continuous connection as best you can to what's happening. The image that I've always found helpful is uh, putting uh, a kettle of water on a stove to, to boil it. If you take it off every 30 <laughs> seconds, it's not gonna boil. But if you put it on the stove, sometimes the flame is high, sometimes it's low. If you keep it on, after a while it cooks and in the same way with your your practice one moment to the next to the next that's how that momentum builds and it can be a dance of awareness 
instead of a, a, a tight chore. You know, so anything being just as good as anything else, oh, brushing your teeth meditation, picking up the tube, unscrewing, squeezing, putting down, brushing, 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 rinsing, just everything is just, it makes it so much um, more interesting to realize that brushing your teeth is just as sacred as a, an act as coming here into the meditation hall and feeling your breath or your sensations coming and going. That's just as good. So you can make the whole day a dance of awareness and that is the key to concentration. If you take a, a period, a chunk of, of time, an afternoon or a morning, and just see what it's like to stay with the schedule of sitting and walking and sitting and walking and just have that kind of um, experiment. Oh, I won't uh, distract myself. You know, oh, I won't do anything I don't need to um, as I just see what it's like to build up moments of mindfulness. Just try it. Uh, you will possibly notice a real uh, effect, dramatic effect. Now that, on the other hand, if you're getting tight and what you need is a cup of tea, then that can be having cup of tea meditation and that can be just as, uh, just as beneficial. But to see continuity as being the key. You can't force it, but you can just keep on showing up as best you can. <clears throat> and when your mind wanders, to bring yourself back. That's all. So concentration, <clears throat> faith or trust, putting the energy to be mindful, and developing that momentum of mindfulness into concentration. And that leads to the, the last factor of wisdom. <clears throat> this is about developing wisdom. <clears throat> to see things clearly, to see things as they are, to free the mind, to free the heart, and one thing that being here on intensive retreat affords is as that mindfulness and concentration deepens, we get to see things that are not usually uh, available to us. We see the subtleties of how the mind and the heart grasp or how letting go is really possible and freeing of how everything changes, of all the goodness inside, as well as the confusion inside. All of that comes from looking carefully. So wisdom, a few aspects of this wisdom. One is that you see certain characteristics of life 
and you see them in a, uh, you uncover the deception. And as it said, we usually think things we don't realize impermanence. And so wisdom is seeing that what we thought was permanent is really impermanent. Reality is changing in micro moments. Every moment it's changing. And we see clearly the truth of that impermanence. And when you see that, then you see, oh, however good it is right now, it's going to change. And you also see, oh, however difficult it is right now, it's going to change. So rather than trying to arrive at some magical peak experience, you start to see, oh, this is about being here for the ride. Oh, just by seeing how everything changes. And you see that what we thought would make us happy is really a source of suffering, that trying to hold on to changing experience is really painful, is really dukkha. And so you see the possibility of letting go. And you also see that you too are part of this changing experience. That there's nothing there in you that's fixed and unchanging as well. So you see you are not as solid as you think. And just as you sit here and you see here's a thought, here's a sensation, here's the breath, here's a sound, one moment after another this reality is a changing experience and that which is seeing it is also a changing experience. As one, uh, one little uh, experiment that uh, I love that Buckminster Fuller um, pointed to, just try this for a moment, close your eyes, and just as you connect inside, we usually think of ourselves as a noun and first think of yourself as a noun, some person, some body, some thing. There you are with a name that everybody agrees is you. And now shift your awareness and think of yourself as a verb for a few moments, as a field of changing experience all the biological processes, the circulation, the digestion, the nervous system, the thoughts, the feelings, all fluid. You are a verb, a field of activity. And as you see the fluidity of who you are, there's less holding on to this sense of self. You see through it. It's all just happening on its own 
in this pattern called you. Okay, you can open your eyes. Even, even more than just you being you, science knows that we are not separate individuals of reality. And just to bring another perspective to this, this is from um, Lives of a Cell by Lewis Thomas, a biologist. It was a classic book many years ago. He says, in case you thought you were a solid self, a good case can be made for our non-existence as entities. We are not made up, as we had always supposed, of successively enriched packets of our own parts. We are shared, rented, occupied, at the interior of our own cells, driving them, providing the oxidative energy that sends us out for the improvement of each shining day, are mitochondria, and in a strict sense, they're not ours. They turn out to be little separate creatures replicating in their own fashion, privately with their own DNA and RNA, quite different from ours. Without them, we would not move a muscle, drum a finger, think a thought. Mitochondria are stable and responsible lodgers, and I choose to trust them. <laughs> but what of the other little animals similarly established in my cells, sorting and balancing me, clustering me together, my centrioles, basal bodies, and probably a good many other more obscure tiny beings at work inside my cells, each with its own special genome, are as foreign and as essential as aphids and anthills. My cells are not the pure line entities I, I thought they were. They are ecosystems more complex than Jamaican Bay. I like to think that they work in my interest, that each breath they draw for me, but perhaps it is they who walk through the local park in the early morning, sensing my senses, listening to my music, thinking my thoughts. <laughs> Wes, Wes Nisker in his book, Buddha's Nature, uh, say, uh, um, mentions the scientific fact that right now in your mouth, there are more microorganisms than there have been human beings since the beginning of time. <laughs> and there's way more in your gut. So who are you anyway? You're an ecosystem. Isn't that cool? Just, and it's all sticking together somehow. That wisdom that sees through this sense of separation is profound because then we feel connected, we feel free, we don't have to defend or aggrandize we don't feel separate. We see the truth that on the one hand, this is me, this is you, and on another, you can think of it as just life playing with itself through these forms. There's other, many other aspects of wisdom that we'll cover as the retreat goes on, but uh, I'll stop here for, for now. And just to, again, see this process of what you're doing as 
a very natural unfolding. Your trust or your faith that brings you here and gives you the inspiration to make the effort to be mindful leads to mindfulness. Mindfulness leads to concentration and concentration, mindful concentration leading to liberating wisdom. Every moment that you're mindful counts. Amazing. So let's sit for a moment. for your attention. So we'll have a 30-minute walking period and come back for a a last sitting and do some chanting and uh, maybe another little mm, treat at the end. I'll keep you in suspense. (laughs) 